Uh, I have asked Pastor Candace to come back and give us one more uh, just powerful word from the wisdom that God has given her tonight. So I want you to stand to your feet and welcome Pastor Candace here tonight with us. Candace Purifoy, come on. Let's make her feel at home as she always already is. Amen. Hey, church. I am so, so happy to be here, to be with you, to have this opportunity. You know, it is never lost on me. I never take a single opportunity to be a mouthpiece, to speak what it is that God has given me. I never take a single one for granted. And so I'm still so thankful to our pastors that they entrust me with your ears and that they um, teach me and guide me to, to help me grow in this um, you know, tonight's message, to just be really honest with you, is, is something that God has been dealing with me about personally. And so whenever there's something that he deals with me about, that he also then creates an opportunity for me to speak from a platform, I always find it um, particularly difficult. And so... Um, Tonight's word, I, I, I just invite you to take it deeply in and just say ouch when we get to those ouch moments because they're coming. <laughs> so if you will, pray with me. Holy Spirit, I am so grateful. I'm grateful for your kindness, for your gentleness, for your love. But in this moment, God, I am grateful for your goodness. Lord, I ask right now that you would take this message, divide it amongst your people, God. This is your word. These are your people. I am your servant. This is your service. God, do what it is that only you can do. This is your time, God. Let you be glorified. Let your name be lifted up and be high. Let each and every one of us receive exactly what it is that we need from your throne room, God. Magnify your presence within each and every one of us in this place. Trumpet your voice to us in this moment. This is my humble and earnest prayer, God. I need you. We need you. And we are here solely, intently, individually, ex exclusively for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's so much that I got from Pastor Shawnee's message last week. Literally, I was just taking it all in. And there was just so many different points. And I was actually talking to my husband. And I was just saying, like, did you, this was so good. Did you catch this? Did you catch that? You know, but the key that really stuck with me was about transformation and about the change that we see and that we desire and that we can be. And so what I began to think about was really looking at the psychology of change and the societal craving that we have to be different, for things to be different, for things to change. There is so much desire for change. 
And so I had to think about, as people of God and as believers, why we struggle so much with change when we serve a God who, as soon as Jesus came on the scene, the very first thing that he did was a miracle of transformation. He created change. And so what is it that we struggle with? And so that led me on this search in scripture. And what I want to talk about tonight are barriers to breakthrough. What's the truth and reality of change? Turn with me, if you will. Let's go to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And it reads, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know it was, did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So this particular passage uh, in the book of John, and um, it's no secret if, if you know me, the book of John is my favorite book in the Bible. It's it, anytime, any, I love, I love this book. And it's largely because in chapters 2 through 11, we see these encounters that Jesus has with just regular people, everyday people, back to back. And we see these 
miracles. We see him healing people, coming face to face with the conditions of everyday life. And what I find so interesting about these chapters is that John, who writes the book, he calls these signs. Some some theologians even refer to these miracles as the book of signs, this particular section. And the thing that's interesting to me is signs point to something. They name a thing. They tell you about something. And so these signs reveal something about who Jesus is. Every one of these encounters, every one of these miracles, every one of these healings reveals something about who Jesus is. And so one of the things that this particular book illuminates is that Jesus is an agent of change. And so he's been continuing his journey, ministering throughout the area, and he comes back for one of the feasts that they have. As a dedicated Jew, he's gone back. He's done what he needs to do. He's gone back to Jerusalem, but he takes this detour to the pool of Bethesda. If you can imagine this scene of just sick, lame, injured people laying all across porches in this area, just stretched out, it would have looked like a hospital or a triage area in a war-torn area, just people everywhere. And I like that the scripture is careful to tell us that this was by the sheep gate because a sheep gate is the area that the lambs and the sheep who were going to be sacrificed for the temple that they had to walk through. So the first thing we see on the scene is that the Lamb of God is walking through the sheep gate where he, the other sheep and lambs would be sacrificed. So we already have a setup for something going on. And so this pool, this area, it was a communal bathing pool. It was a communal area. People could get in and do, um, you know, do their ritual bathings and all of those things. Um, It's a multitude of people here. And Jesus keys in on this one man. And so the first thing that we have to ask is, why this guy? Why him? And the first thing that we don't see in the text it makes it somewhat clear to us that he has an issue of mobility because he can't get into the pool by himself, right? So the question becomes, how did he get there in the first place? Either someone who at one point was with him brought him or he had resources or some way of getting there, but it illuminates one singular fact, is that either way, in some way, there was a loss of relationships or resources. Loss can have a devastating impact on our walk in our faith. How we handle loss is the quintessential component of your spiritual journey. It's how we mark. It's the defining mark of spiritual maturation. What do you do when you've lost something? 
or someone, a relationship. Pastor Shawnee taught us last week, David handled loss by repositioning his heart, by going into the Holy Spirit, by centering himself in God. But so many of us, we don't properly process our loss. We allow our loss to turn into unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is a tree that has branches that include bitterness, hard-heartedness. Those are the things that immediately come when we do not properly process our loss. And so we see this man who has obviously lost something and has been waiting for 38 years. If you let me, we're going to do a little quick Bible study. I want you to look at verse 4. Verse 4 is bracketed. Those brackets, as Pastor Gail has always taught us, that indicates that something was added to the text later. This part that talks about an angel stirring up the water in the pool and whoever got in first was healed, this part has been added for the context of the reader. Because we always have this element of syncretism, where the Jews end up mixing in elements of everybody else's religion and everybody else's culture, and they just mix it all up, and it's like, we're going to do a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. That's one of the things that we see happening in this text. This idea is a Greek idea, and it's called an Asclepion. And Asclepion was an ancient healing center based on the Greek god Asclepios. He was their their god of healing and medicine and all of that. So they would set up these healing centers and this idea about getting in the water and dip a toe and you come out all right. The fact is, this man was waiting 38 years on a myth and legend. So what I want to ask you, in your desire for change, in your desire for breakthrough, are you waiting to be saved by something or someone that is not your savior? Is what you're putting your hope and your faith in the true and saving grace of God? And so here we have this man. And, and when Christ comes and he sees him and he's, he's attuned to this man, it isn't just the fact that he is ailing. It's how long the man has been here that raises Christ's compassion. This man has been here 38 years. That's almost 40 years. That's two generations. Some of us, We've been dealing with stuff a long time. We have mindsets that have been with us since our childhood. We have self-sabotaging behaviors. We have bitterness. We have an attitude of cynicism. We have trust issues. We got anger. Some of us have been angry for so long, we don't even remember who we're angry at. We've been dealing with some things 
a long time. And it's easy to hear 38 years and think, oh, that's that's just something that that man was dealing with. But for some of us, we might be 35 years old and still have a 35-year-old mindset that says we aren't good enough. We could have a 35-year-old mindset that still says I can't do it. It's not going to happen. I know that God can, but I don't think he'll do it for me. We can have these mindsets and these ways of being, and we just kind of begin to say, well, that's just me. That's just how I am. That's not how you are. That's not the real you. That's a behavior that you have adapted. It's not you. And so Jesus comes on the scene. All of these people are desperately waiting to be healed. They're waiting for change. They want a different life. They want something to be different. And nobody approaches Jesus. Everybody was so focused on their way of healing that they didn't realize that the way had entered the scene. And so here's the question I have to ask. Are you so focused on your plan? Are you so focused on your method, on your system, that you can't see where Christ has shown up in your circumstances? Can I tell you about my journey with this? Um, yeah, yeah. Just give that out. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. I, for me personally, this showed up when um, my husband and I had first started dating. I used to work in corporate America. I used to be a regional director for post-secondary schools, whole different life, whole different career. And I had, you know, what, what older folks would say, I had a good job, you know, I had one of them good jobs. And everybody expected me to be happy. I was making good money. I had a lot of freedom. I worked from home. It was, you know, it was supposed to be great, but I was empty. I was going to work. I was doing my thing. I had, you know, I had my Olivia Pope suits and I was really out here trying to kill the game, but I was miserable. And so I remember um, my husband, he told me, he said, you need to pray. You need to pray about purpose. And we started praying and praying and I was praying probably about a month. And he checked in and he said, you know, what's What's coming up for you? What has God said? And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying about purpose. And all I keep seeing is these pulpits and churches and stuff. And I don't, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do because that's, that's not it. And he was like, (laughs) you know, that's, but I didn't, that wasn't my plan. And I was so focused on my plan, on what I was trying to achieve, on how I was going to be this super executive and what I was going to do, that I couldn't see that God was showing me a different path. Everybody was so focused on the water that the living well showed up and nobody made a move. We have a way that we think things should look. And so here it is that Jesus asks this question. He says, do you want 
to get well. The King James Version, old school, it says, do you want to be made whole? I love when Jesus asks questions in scripture because it's such a provocative moment when the omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing Christ asks a question We have to lean in and wonder, why? Why is the person who knows all asking a question? But see, when the teacher asks the student a question, it's to elevate and illuminate the student's level of understanding. And so if you'll allow me to creep back to our previous conversation a few weeks ago about truth, truth always exposes what deception has tried to conceal. A truth confrontation, a confrontation with Christ is always going to result in an encounter with truth. It's going to expose the faulty internal mechanisms that we have been operating off of. The false beliefs, the lies that we have been rehearsing and telling ourselves ultimately are revealed to be sinking sand and to be untrue. And so one of the things that I invite you to do is to pay attention to the moments of plaguing questions that you have. When you find yourself wondering, why did I just say that? Why did I do that? Why did I act like that in that moment? When those questions start coming up, understand that's not you. The Holy Spirit is tugging at you. These plaguing questions are the teacher illuminating and elevating your level of understanding. Christ was opening the door through confrontation for revelation and restoration. And so as provocative as the question is, as much as I would love to spend so much time dissecting that question, I got to move to the answer because it's the answer that really gets to you. Because see, when he asks this question, we have to wonder, we have to think about the insidiously profound nature of saying, are you aware of what you really want? See, a lot of times we live so disconnected from our hearts. We think we know, but we don't really know what we want. Sometimes we say what we think we're supposed to want. We're trying to live a life that we think we're supposed to desire, that we think we're supposed to go after, that somebody else told us is what we're supposed to want. We go and we look and we we examine we're afraid to want what we want because we're so fearful of disappointment. For a long time, when people would ask me if I wanted to have kids, I'd say, oh, no, 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 thank you. No, I'm not ready. No. But the truth is, I was afraid to want to have kids because I was afraid, what if I couldn't have kids? And so it was easier for me to elude myself, to delude myself into thinking that I didn't want it rather than to accept that it may not happen. So the question is, are you honest with yourself about what you want? Then sometimes... We can struggle to want what we want because we've never seen it. 
the thing that we want, we may have no familiarity with it. You may want to be married and everybody in your family has been divorced. You may want to be a business owner and everybody in your family has worked at the plant their entire life. You may want to do something that you have never seen. You may want to live and be a wife that is submitted to her husband, but every woman in your family is angry and yells. You may want things that you've never seen. Understand this. When a baby is born, they have never seen food. But their hunger is the evidence that food exists. The fact that you want that thing, the fact that that desire burns in your heart, the fact that that business is on your mind, the fact that that ministry wells up inside of you, the fact that that thing is in you is evidence that it exists. You can want that thing, even if you've never seen it. And that's where the question illuminates so much. It brings these things up because we get caught up in it's just been how it's always been. There is a complacency there. This man has been in this place for 38 years years. And so we have to think he was a veteran. He was the senior statesman. He was the OG triple triple. He had been there a long time. Have you ever met those people who have been on the job for 12 years and every day talk about how much they hate it there? The person who has been in a toxic relationship forever, but yet they still stay and remain. The person who complains about their girlfriend or their boyfriend all the time, but still hasn't left. There is a dangerous complacency in comfort. Sometimes we enjoy being the big fish in a small pond of folks who aren't swimming anywhere. If we are not careful, we will forfeit our destiny and remain comfortable in chaos. There's a familiarity when you align yourself with chaos. It becomes comfortable. It becomes what you know. It becomes almost like an addiction. And then when you find yourself around peace, you don't know how to function. We see it when people who have been in chaotic relationship after chaotic relationship then find themselves with someone who, who speaks peace, who speaks life. And they like, well, they boring. I don't understand. We don't do nothing. No, baby, that's peace. That's kindness. That's love. We have to break free from those shackles that align us and make us comfortable and complacent in chaos. We can deal with that failure to launch, that fear, because we're afraid that if we try and we fail, then we won't have the dream anymore to dream of. You have to move forward. And so here it is, This here's this man's, Answer And he says, sir, I have no man 
to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. This was so funny about this answer. This seems to me, if I can impart parenthetically in the text, this seems like a real prepared answer. This seems like he was ready with this. Like this is the story. This is what he says to anybody when they ask why is he in this situation or what happened. This is the story, the narrative. And so we have to understand that one of the biggest barriers to our breakthrough is the story that we tell ourselves about our situations. The story we continue to breathe life into That's the story that we play out. So what is the narrative? What is the story that we're telling ourselves about why we are the way we are? What's the story that we tell about why it didn't work out? What's the story that you tell about why the relationship failed? Why the friendship didn't work? What happened with your first marriage? Why didn't things go in that business the way that you intended? What is the story that you're telling yourself? He says, I I don't have anybody to put me in, which translates to they left me. They didn't treat me right. They weren't there for me. And he's giving his power to other people. Now, understand, we're not minimizing the impact of the actions of other people. Other people's actions do have impact in our life. But understand that their actions are not what holds the power and authority in your story. Other people do not decide the outcome of your life. And giving your power and authority away to other people is a barrier to your breakthrough. Jesus, in this exchange with this man, brings all of these things up in this short time, showing all of these behaviors that we see with this man. And so often in our own life, where are the places that we have said, I haven't done, I haven't accomplished, I'm like this because of what so-and-so did, of how they treated me. In this moment, begin to release other people from your narrative. From your story. If I can, I just want to draw this one juxtaposition. I want you to look back just at the chapter right before of John chapter 4. We have the story of the woman at the well. And the thing that's so interesting is how these two parallel. Both of these people were at bodies of water waiting on something that essentially wasn't going to come. Both of them had external conditions that had impacted their hearts. And in this encounter and exchange with Jesus, both of them got so much more than they expected. The woman at the well was suffering alone and in silence. And this man at the pool of Bethesda was lost and withering amongst the crowd. Each of them had an internal narrative that was eating away at them. It was an issue of mindset just as much as it was an issue of circumstance. A lot of times we want Jesus to change the circumstance. 
We want to see breakthrough and change in the circumstance. But what Jesus does is he comes and changes the mindset. He's always coming for the mindset. And so if your prayer is localized to him moving in your circumstance without him changing your mindset, you're going to be waiting a long time. He always comes for the mindset. The last thing that we see, this man, when Jesus says, after this, first of all, I love how Jesus doesn't even address it, right? That answer, he was just like, okay, no. He just moves on and says, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And immediately, when the man got up, he was able to walk. This shows there is a marriage human between the divine sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Those two things are linked together. And so here's the tough question. Are you waiting on God to do a thing without being obedient to what he told you to do? Obedience is the critical step in the change you want to see. It's the missing piece. It's the link. It's what cuts through. It's what gets it done. Obedience is critical to your healing, to your change, and to your breakthrough. And here's the tough part. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. The man got up immediately, immediately, and began to walk. And that thing dealt with me because it said 38 years he had been laying down. Science indicates that we can lose muscle mass in just a few months of inactivity. Y'all remember the movie, The Matrix? They had to do all the acupuncture with all the needles and rebuild Neo's muscles because they had atrophied. This man had been laying down for 38 years But one word from Jesus, and he was able to get up, pick up a mat, and walk. Just as the 38 years proves the gravity of the the disease, the carrying of the mat proves the completeness of the cure. God can redeem time. Understand that that thing that you feel you've been waiting on for so long, that healing, that way of being, the anger you want to release, the frustration you want to let go of, the lack of love, the loss that you have felt for such a long time, God can do a thing and redeem the time. Understand that it can change. It can be different. That man was cured completely. And so finally, at the end of all of this, the man is on his way, going to the temple. 
He's healed. He's carrying his mat. And after this encounter with the Pharisees who see this man who hadn't walked in 38 years and their first issue is, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? (laughs) Some folks can care more about the conditions, the legalism, the rules than the breakthrough in your life. And you have to be mindful to not cast your pearls before swine. You have to be sure and let the Holy Spirit lead you and illuminate who you allow to speak into the places in your life. Jesus found him in the temple and he says, Behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus makes this connection between his illness and his sin. One of the biggest barriers to our breakthrough is our choices. It's not the enemy. It's not the devil. It's the choices that we're making. And this is not an indiscriminate connection Because when we look at the healing of the man born blind in John 9 that comes later, the disciples ask, well, Jesus, who was it that sinned? Was it him or his parents for him to be born blind? And Jesus makes no condition of the man's or no connection between the man's sin and his connection. So this is something distinct that's happening with this man. Because his choices, because his mindset, because his ways of being are impacting. And Jesus says, be careful, or it could be worse. There is a cost once we have come into the way. Once we know, once we understand, once we taste and see You can't entertain the same type of foolishness that you did anymore. You can't entertain the same types of mindsets and thoughts and different things because it affects you differently. The truth and reality of change is that our choices, our way of being, our understanding is what impacts our breakthrough. Process your losses. Take them to the cross. Take them back to Christ. Are you holding on to something that isn't working? Have you been holding on to a way of being that isn't serving you? Don't get comfortable in complacency. The breakthrough that you're believing for is entirely possible. It can all change when we allow ourselves to change as opposed to focusing on the circumstance. See, sometimes God comes and he will calm the raging storm. But sometimes he lets the storm rage on and he calms his child instead. The breakthrough that you desire the change that you want to see in circumstance happens when the change happens in our mind, in our hearts. When we align ourselves and allow ourselves to truly connect with the truth 
of who Christ is and who we are in him. Amen? Amen. Amen.